Section 91 of The Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 18. The Cathcart Lodge, a long two-story affair, halfway up a fine covered mountain slope, was one of those summer conveniences of the rich, situated just near enough to the primeval wilds to give one a sense of the unexplored and dangerous and raw nature, and yet near enough to the comforts of civilization as represented by the cities of Quebec and Montreal, to make one feel secure in the possession of those material joys, otherwise so easily interrupted. It was full of great rooms, tastefully furnished, with simple, summery things, willow chairs, box window seats, structural bookshelves, great open fireplaces surmounted by handsome mantles, outward-swinging, leaded casements, settees, pillow-strewn, rustic couches, great fur rugs and robes and things of that character. The walls were ornamented with trophies of the chase, antlers, raw fox skins, mounted loons, and eagles, skins of bears and other animals. This year the Cathcarts were elsewhere, and the lodge was to be had by a woman of Mrs. Dale's standing for the asking. When they reached Wileaway, the caretaker, Pierre, an old habitant of musty lodge hut origin, who spoke broken English, was dressed in earth-brown khaki over heaven knows what combination of clothes beneath, had lighted the fires, and was bestirring himself about warming the house generally with the furnaces. His wife, a small, broad-skirted, solid-bodied woman, was in the kitchen preparing something to eat. There was plenty of meat to be had from the larder of the habitant himself, to say nothing of flour, butter, and the like. A girl to serve was called from the family of a neighboring trapper. She had worked in the lodge as maid to the Cathcarts. They settled down to make themselves comfortable, but the old discussion continued. There was no cessation to it, and through it all, actually, Suzanne was having her way. Meanwhile, Eugene, back in New York, was expecting word from Suzanne on Thursday, and none came. He called up the house, only to learn that Mrs. Dale was out of the city, and was not expected back soon. Friday came, and no word, and Saturday he tried a registered letter for personal delivery only, return signature demanded, but it came back marked not there. Then he realized that his suspicions were correct, and that Suzanne had fallen into a trap. He grew gloomy, fearful, impatient, and nervous by turn, and all at the same time. He drummed on his desk at the office, tried almost in vain to fix his mind on the scores of details which were ever before him, wandered aimlessly about the streets at times, thinking. He was asked for his opinion on art plans and books, and advertising and circulation propositions. But he could not fix his mind closely on what was being said. "'The chief has certainly got something on his mind which is troubling him these days,' said Carter Hayes, the advertising man, to the circulation head. "'He's not himself. I don't believe he hears what I am telling him.' "'I've noticed that,' replied the latter. They were in the reception room outside Eugene's door, and strolled arm in arm down the richly carpeted hall to the elevator. There's certainly something wrong, 
He ought to take a rest. He's trying to do too much. Hayes did not believe Eugene was trying to do too much. In the last four or five months, it had been almost impossible to get near him. He came down at ten or ten-thirty in the morning, left frequently at two and three, had lunch engagements which had nothing to do with office work, and at night went into the social world to dinner or elsewhere, where he could not be found. Colfax had sent for him on a number of occasions when he was not present, and on several other occasions, when he had called on his floor and at his office, Eugene was out. It did not strike him as anything to complain of. Eugene had a right to be about, but as inadvisable, in the managing publisher's own interest. He knew that he had a vast number of things to take care of. It would take an exceptionally efficient man to manage them and not give all his time to them. He would not have thought this if Eugene had been a partner with himself, as were other men and other ventures in which he was interested. But not being so, he could not help viewing him as an employee, one who ought to give all his time to his work. White never asked anything much save the privilege of working, and was always about the place, alert, earnest, at his particular duties, not haughty, but calm and absolutely efficient in every way. He was never weary of consulting with Colfax, whereas Eugene was indifferent, not at all desirous of running to him with every little proposition, but preferring to act on his own initiative, and carrying himself constantly with very much of an air. In other ways, there were other things which were and had been militating against him. By degrees it had come to be rumored about the office that Eugene was interested in the Blue Sea or Sea Island Development and Construction Company, of which there was a good deal of talk about the city, particularly in financial and social circles. Colfax had heard of the corporation. He had been interested in the scheme because it promised so much in the way of luxury. Not much of the panoramic whole so beautifully depicted in colored insets of a thirty-two-page literary perspective fathered by Eugene was as yet accomplished, but there was enough to indicate that it was going to be a great thing. Already, somewhat over a mile and a quarter of the great sea walk and wall were in place. A dining and dancing pavilion had been built, and one of the smaller hotels, all in accordance with the original architectural scheme. There were a number of houses, something like twenty or thirty, on plots of one hundred and fifty by one hundred and fifty feet, built in the most ornate fashion on ground which had formerly been wet marsh grown high with grass. Three or four islands had been filled in, and the clubhouse of a minor yacht club had been constructed. But still the Sea Island Development Company had a long way to go before even a third of its total perfection would be in sight. Eugene did not know the drift of the company's financial affairs, except in a general way. He had tried to keep out of it so far as public notice of him was concerned, though he was constantly lunching with Winfield, Willebrand, and others, and endeavoring to direct as much attention to the wonders and prospects of the new resort as was possible for him to do. It was an easy thing for him to say to one person and another, whom he met that Blue Sea was rapidly becoming the most perfect thing in the way of a summer resort 
that he had ever seen. And this did good. So did the comments of all the other people who were interested in it. But it did not make it anything of a success as yet. As a matter of fact, the true success of Blue Sea depended on the investment of much more than the original ten millions for which it had been capitalized. It depended on a truly solid growth, which could not be rapid. The news which came to the United Magazine Corporation, and eventually to Colfax and White, was that Eugene was heavily interested in this venture, that he was secretary, or held some other office in connection with it, and that he was giving a great deal of his time to its development, which might better be employed in furthering the interests of the United Magazine Corporation. "'What do you think of that?' asked Colfax of White, on hearing the news one morning. It had come through the head of the printing department under White, who had mentioned it to Colfax in White's presence by the latter's directions. "'It's just what I've been telling you all along,' said the latter blandly. "'He isn't interested in this business any more than he is in any other. He's using it as a stepping-stone, and when he's through with it, good-bye. Now—' That's all right from his point of view. Every man has a right to climb up, but it isn't good from yours. You'd be better off if you had a man who wanted to stay here. You'd be better off, really, if you were handling it yourself. You may not want to do that, but with what you know now, you can get someone who will work under you quite well. That's the one satisfactory thing about it. You really can get along without him if it comes right down to it now. With a good man in there, it can be handled from your office. It was about this time that the most ardent phase of Eugene's love affair with Suzanne began. All through the spring and summer, Eugene had been busy with thoughts of Suzanne, ways of meeting her, pleasurable rides with her, thinking of things she had done and said. As a rule now, his thoughts were very far from the interests of his position, and in the main, it bored him greatly. He began to wish earnestly that his investment in the Sea Island Corporation would show some tangible return in the way of interest, so that he could have means to turn round with. It struck him after Angela's discovery of his intrigue with Suzanne as a most unfortunate thing that he had tied up all his means in this Blue Sea investment. If it had been fated that he was to go on living with Angela, it would have been all right. Then he could have waited in patience and thought nothing of it. Now it simply meant that if he wanted to realize it, it would be all tied up in the courts, or most likely so, for Angela could sue him, and at any rate he would wish to make reasonable provisions for her, and that would require legal adjustment. Apart from this investment, he had nothing now save his salary, and that was not accumulating fast enough to do him much good in case Mrs. Dale went to Colfax soon and the latter broke with him. He wondered if Colfax really would break with him. Would he ask him to give up Suzanne, or simply force him to resign? He had noticed that for some time Colfax had not been as cordial to and enthusiastic about him as he had formerly been, but this might be due to other things besides opposition. Moreover, it was natural for them to become a little tired of each other. They did not go about so much together and when they did, Colfax was not as high-flown and boyish in his spirits as he had formerly been. Eugene fancied it was White who was caballing against him. 
But he thought if Colfax was going to change, he was going to change, and there was no help for it. There were no grounds, he fancied, in so far as the affairs of the corporation were concerned. His work was successful. The storm broke one day out of a clear sky in so far as the office was concerned, but not until there had been much heartache and misery in various directions, with the Dales, with Angela, and with Eugene himself. Suzanne's action was the lightning bolt which precipitated the storm. It could only come from that quarter. Eugene was frantic to hear from her, and for the first time in his life began to experience those excruciating and gnawing pangs which are the concomitants of uncertain and distraught love. It manifested itself in an actual pain in his vitals, in the region of the solar plexus, or what is commonly known as the pit of the stomach. He suffered there very much, quite as the Spartan boy may have done, who was gnawed by the fox concealed under his belt. He would wonder where Suzanne was, what she was doing, and then, being unable to work, would call his car and ride, or take his hat and walk. It did him no good to ride, for the agony was in sitting still. At night he would go home and sit, by one or the other of his studio windows, principally out on the little stone balcony, and watched the changing panorama of the Hudson, yearning and wondering where she was. Would he ever see her again? Would he be able to win this battle if he did? Oh, her beautiful face, her lovely voice, her exquisite lips and eyes, the marvel of her touch and beautiful fancy. He tried to compose poetry to her, and wrote a series of sonnets to his beloved, which were not at all bad. He worked on his sketchbook of pencil portraits of Suzanne, seeking a hundred significant and delightful expressions and positions, which could afterwards be elaborated into his gallery of paintings of her, which he proposed to paint at some time. It did not matter to him that Angela was about, though he had the graciousness to conceal these things from her. He was ashamed in a way of his treatment of her, and yet the sight of her, now, was not so much pitiable as objectionable and unsatisfactory. Why had he married her? He kept asking himself that. They sat in the studio one night. Angela's face was a picture of despair, for the horror of her situation was only by degrees coming to her, and she said, seeing him so moody and despondent, Eugene, don't you think you can get over this? You say Suzanne has been spirited away. Why not let her go? Think of your career, Eugene. Think of me. What will become of me? You can get over it if you try. Surely you won't throw me down after all these years I've been with you. Think how I have tried. I have been a pretty good wife to you, haven't I? I haven't annoyed you so terribly much, have I? Oh, I feel all the time as though... We were on the brink of some terrible catastrophe. If only I could do something. If only I could say something. I know I've been hard and irritable at times, but that is all over now. I'm a changed woman. I would never be that way any more. It can't be done, Angela, he replied calmly. It can't be done. I don't love you. I've told you that. I don't want to live with you. I can't. I want to get free in some way, either by divorce or a quiet separation, and go my way. I'm not happy. I never will be as long as I am here. I want my freedom. 
and then I will decide what I want to do. Angela shook her head and sighed. She could scarcely believe that this was she, wandering around in her own apartment, wondering what she was going to do in connection with her own husband. Marietta had gone back to Wisconsin before the storm broke. Myrtle was in New York, but she hated to confess to her. She did not dare to write any member of her own family but Marietta, and she did not want to confess to her. Marietta had fancied while she was here that they were getting along nicely. She had fits of crying, which alternated with fits of anger, but the latter were growing weak. Fear, despondency, and grief were becoming uppermost in her soul again. The fear and despondency that had weighed her down in those lonely days before she married Eugene, the grief that she was now actually and finally to lose the one man with whom, in spite of everything, she loved still. End of section 91